I'd like for you to turn to Luke chapter 5, if you would. Luke chapter 5. I have a friend who became a very successful disc jockey in Fort Wayne, Indiana, back in the 70s. He was the top disc jockey in all of Fort Wayne. He was a rock and roll disc jockey. And he parlayed that success into a very successful career at a top 40 radio station. But he rose uh, to the number one disc jockey in all of Indianapolis, which is a pretty good-sized town. Fort Wayne was a medium market. It's, it's a lot easier to become number one there than in Indianapolis, but God allowed him to rise to the number one disc jockey. Over time, he became the second-rated disc jockey in all of America. Second-rated disc jockey in all of America. His career was on the move. He and his wife lived in a luxury apartment there in Indianapolis. I mean, it was like the best of the best. He and his wife both drove brand new Corvettes, anything material that you could ask for. One day he was doing his radio program and a teenager called into his radio show and he invited my friend to come to a revival meeting at their church that evening. My friend Greg told me, he said, for some really weird reason, he said, I don't know why, but I agreed to go. To this day, he has no clue why he would agree to go to a revival service with a teenager that he'd never even met that just called into his radio show. But he went. He showed up. And that night, my friend heard the gospel for the very first time. And he surrendered his life to Christ. Let me say that again. He surrendered his life to Christ. I mean, he really surrendered his life to Christ. There were no rooms in his heart that he held back. Nothing was off limits to God. He gave God everything. Well, Greg soon realized that As a Christian, he could not continue doing his not-so-Christ-like radio show. Now at the same time God began to deal with him about his radio broadcast, God began to call him to be a pastor. He was still a young Christian, but he was growing. He was digging into the Bible, getting all that he could get. And God was working in his life. And it finally got too much fighting with God that he finally quit his job. He and his wife sold all of their possessions and they went off to Bible college. He went from a luxury luxury apartment building to an efficiency apartment. He went from driving two brand new Corvettes to not driving anything new. But one thing that impresses me, one thing that I want to share with you, is that through all of that, he never once turned back away from that surrender he made to Jesus Christ. Now, oftentimes we hear people give testimonies of the kind of sacrifice that my friend made in order to follow the Lord. And we might think, well, that's nice. 
That's nice that God called him to make that kind of sacrifice and he willingly made it. I respect that man. That's really great. But God has not called me to do that. Well, I want to stand here tonight and assure you, yes, He has. He's called each one of us to make a sacrifice. A necessary sacrifice, as I've entitled the message this evening. We are all called upon to make a necessary sacrifice if we are to follow Jesus Christ. It's not optional. It's the only way that we can truly follow Christ. And the sacrifice is not just giving up a nice house or a sweet ride. The sacrifice is a call to surrender all. To give it all to the Lord. You know, for years the church has sung, I surrender all. When in reality, for some people, it's, I surrender some. And they hold back. Maybe a little, maybe a lot for themselves. But it's theirs. They give God everything but one room of their heart. They give God everything except their career. They give God everything except for their family. They give God everything except for their stock brokerage account or whatever it might be. And they hold just that little bit back. And some, if they were honest, would have sung, I surrender some, and then feel really good about it, that they surrendered some. But that's not the call that Jesus Christ issues to us. That's not the call He gives us. He gives us a call to surrender all. In Luke chapter 9, not our text yet, we're getting there, but in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let him deny himself. When Jesus said, let a man deny himself, he was not just talking about giving up some prized possession like your two brand new Corvettes. He wasn't talking about simply skipping a meal now and then. Jesus was not just asking for us to surrender the pick of our choice. Well, I guess if I have to surrender something, I'll surrender this. Jesus was asking us to surrender all, to give all. The world's terminology is to go all in, to hold back nothing. But you know when it comes to making that sacrifice, to, to sacrifice everything to serve the Lord, oftentimes there's something that stands in the way. I know that from experience. I've experienced that. And when we realize that God is calling us God is asking us to give Him everything, there's often something that stands in the way. A few years ago when I was pastoring in um, New Haven, Indiana, a suburb of Fort Wayne, a man in our church came up to me and he said, you know, Tim, so often it's the good things in life 
that are the enemies of the best things in life. Did you get that? Sometimes it's the good things in life that are the enemies of the best things in life. The good things sometimes keep us from experiencing the best things in life. I think that's so true. How true that really is. I believe that's also true in our Christian life. That it's the good things in our Christian life sometimes that keep us from experiencing the best things. It is so easy for us to begin to fall into a pattern of faulty thinking. Faulty thinking that we think is actually good thinking. In which we believe that a commitment to good things automatically equates with a commitment to the kingdom. We can deceive ourselves thinking that because we do good things in our community, and after all, uh, I'm the president of our school's PTA. Uh, I serve as the commissioner for our little league in our community. Um, I make it a practice to bake a cake and take it to every new resident in our subdivision. Sometimes we can think that these good things are getting the job done when it comes to fulfilling the purpose for which Christ called us. We can even deceive ourselves into thinking that because we are an usher or because we serve on a church committee or because we go around raking leaves for uh, some of our shut-in neighbors that um, we are fulfilling the call that Jesus gave to us. Now those things aren't bad. It's not bad to be an usher. It's not bad to serve in some capacity in the church. It's not bad to go around helping your neighbors. But we must be willing to make a sacrifice. We must be willing to sacrifice even at times good things in order to experience the best things of the kingdom. And uh, I think that's the message that Jesus is going to give to us when we look at our text here this evening. It becomes a matter of denying ourself. Are we willing to deny self? Are we willing to completely, completely surrender to Jesus Christ? No holding back and no turning back. I think we find a, a really good example of this as we look into our text here in Luke 5. Jesus has been teaching the people along the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee when he saw two boats that had recently been beached. He saw the, the fishermen that had beached those boats and they were cleaning their nets. Now that was a process that was not easy. Those nets were heavy. Especially when the fiber in those nets became wet, a little bit waterlogged. 
they would get very heavy. And so cleaning those nets was very tedious. They'd have to go string by string in those nets to clean out the seaweed and the dirt, whatever else might be stuck in those nets. Maybe the carcass of a dead fish, whatever it might be. And so it was a long, tedious process. One guy couldn't handle a net by himself. They were way too heavy. And so these guys would work together to clean their nets. They just about got their nets clean. When Jesus walks up and hops into Peter's boat, he says, Peter, I want you to put out from the shore. I want you to put out a little ways. And so he did. And Jesus began to teach the people. And then after Jesus was done teaching the people that lined the shoreline, he said to Peter, Go out into the deep waters and lower the nets. Okay, this is getting serious. They just cleaned their nets. After they clean their nets, they repair any of the strings that are broken. They might tie a new piece in there to make sure they didn't have a big hole in their net that, that their catch could swim out of. And so they've gone through that whole process of cleaning and mending their nets. And then they have to fold them up and pack them and stow them away in the boats. And they had gotten all that done, apparently. And Jesus said, I want you to launch out into the deep and lower the nets. See, they had the nets on board with them. So they had gone through that whole process. And I want you to notice Peter's response in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 and beginning with verse 5. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now I want to paraphrase for you what Peter was saying. You know, I might be embellishing this just a little, but I'm doing so so that you can understand what's going on between Peter and Jesus. Peter is saying something like this. Jesus, I'm a professional fisherman. I've been at this thing a long, long time. I know what I'm doing. There's probably not a better fisherman on the whole Sea of Galilee. Remember, I'm embellishing a little here, okay? There's probably not a better fisherman on the whole Sea of Galilee. We've been out there all night long. We've caught nothing. I've been around this thing long enough, Jesus, to know that sometimes there will be nights like that. It just happens. Can't explain it. Don't know where the fish are, but they're nowhere to be caught. My experience tells me that it would be useless to go out there and to cast our nets. But Jesus... Because you're the one that's asking, I'll do it. Because it's you, I will do it for you. That's basically what Peter's saying. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Then look at verse 6. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
for he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draft of fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. So Peter and, and his partners, the others there, had heard the teaching of Jesus. They probably had heard him on the hillside a time or two. They knew his message. But now, when Jesus asked them to push out into the deep and let down their nets, now they get to see the divine power of God through Jesus Christ. They get to witness a miracle. They get to witness something that would absolutely blow their mind. Something totally unexpected. Something that probably none of us have ever seen the likes of. And this encounter with Jesus Christ caused Peter to come face to face with his sinfulness. Notice he says there in verse 8, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. When he realized the greatness of Jesus Christ, it caused him to realize the sinfulness of himself. And then Jesus issued a call to Peter. He said, Peter, you have been a fisher of fish. But from now on, you will be a fisher of men. That's your new call. That's what you're going to be doing. I am calling you to be a fisher of men. Now this call that Jesus issued to Peter, by application, is the same call that Jesus issues to us. It's given to us. I am calling you to be fishers of men. Peter was expected to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are expected to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. To make disciples. That's the command that Jesus gave to the early church to his followers. By application, that's the command that Jesus gives to us, to make disciples. If you were to take a look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and you look at that Great Commission, if you were able to take a look at it in the Greek language, you would discover that there is only one verb in that commission. And that verb is make disciples. Make disciples. Now, in the English, it looks like there are several verbs. Go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel. Baptize them. But those are actually participles in the Greek. As you go, and as you teach, and as you preach, and as you baptize, make disciples those are our marching orders we have one simple clear 
marching order to obey, and that is to make disciples. I want you to keep that in mind, to make disciples. So, Jesus interrupts Peter and James and John, interrupts their evening, their night, probably very late, maybe their early morning, and uh, he says to them, I want you from now on to be not fishers of fish, but fishers of men. And what did they do? What did, it, what did these guys do when Jesus gave them that call? I mean, without hesitation, they did what? They followed. They followed. Verse 11. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all, and they followed him. I mean, Peter pulled his boat up onto the shore. He beached it as he came in. He left the boat. He left the tackle. He left the nets. Somebody asked me after the afternoon service, I don't know if I've ever thought of this before, what did they do with the fish that they caught? Well, I have a feeling they left the fish. And they immediately, immediately followed Jesus. They forsook all and followed Jesus. Now, I've got to ask you a question. Peter and the guys were fishers of fish, and they probably were pretty good at what they did. Was that a bad thing? Was it a sin for them to be fishers of fish? Was that something bad to, that, that they were fishermen, fishers for fish? No, it wasn't. That wasn't something bad. In fact, it was something good. It made a living for them. It fed their family. It fed many other people. Fishing for fish was a good thing. But that's not what Jesus Christ had for these guys. He had other plans for Peter and James and John. They gave up something that was not bad. They gave up something that was basically good. That they might do what was best. And that was to obey Jesus Christ. Sometimes what we're called to give up is not bad. In fact, it might be a very, very good thing that we'll see in a, in a minute that we're called to give up. But Jesus Christ asks us to surrender. In the book Radical Together, Radical Together, the author tells of a man by the name of Mark. Mark had spent his entire adult life as a Christian involved in serving in his church. Various committees, various functions, various ministries. And then Mark realized that in spite of all the good things he had done, he could not point to one single person that was now that he had led to Christ and that was now living for the Lord and was leading others to Christ. He had spent his life doing everything he thought he was supposed to do. 
He had spent his adult life doing really, really good things. But he could not point to one person that he had discipled. And the Bible is very clear that when we make disciples, that we have not made a disciple. You can look at verses like 2 Timothy 2.2 2 and others. We have not made a disciple until we've made a disciple who makes disciples. Till that circle is completed. We make a disciple who makes a disciple. Actually, some people will take it a third generation because there are verses that do go three generations deep. That we truly haven't made a disciple until we make a disciple who makes a disciple who makes a disciple. And we've passed on this idea of making disciples, training them up, teaching them in the Lord, showing them how to make disciples. This man realized that he had hung on to the good and had lost the best. He'd lost the best. Sometimes the good things in life are the enemies of the best things in life. We see this idea kind of being played out before our eyes here in the book of Acts chapter 8. If you want to flip over to Acts chapter 8. This is a passage that I've had a chance to share with you in the past, but it fits so well in this message. I, I do want to go back and revisit this passage. Acts chapter 8. I want to begin reading with verse 1. Acts 8 verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, Stephen's death. Saul was there consenting unto Stephen's death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, when Acts chapter 8 takes place, there is a great persecution against the church. And uh, there was one guy involved in this persecution that we probably have all heard of. Anybody know his name? Paul, it was Saul at that time. Saul. Saul was persecuting the church. He even got letters from officials that said it was okay for him to go persecute Christians. Put them to death, whatever. And so Paul was persecuting the church. And what happened in the church as the result of this persecution that was going on? What does Acts 8.1 says happened in the church? They scattered. Who scattered? All of them? The believers. All of them? Did all the believers scatter? Except the apostles. All the people except the apostles scattered. So you got this persecution that's launched. And the entire church scatters. Except for the leaders in the church. You know, the, the, the pastors, the preachers the leaders in this church. All the people in the pews, in the seats, scattered. The leaders stayed. Now, I want you to see what happens here. Verse 4. Acts 8, verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. What did those that were scattered do? Preach the word. Where? Everywhere they went. Everywhere they went, they preached the word. Who was preaching the word? Okay, Christians? The ones that were scattered? Who were the ones that were scattered? 
everybody but the apostles. Everybody in the church scattered but the apostles. And everyone that scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Now, I don't know that they were preaching in the sense that Pastor Rands or, or, or Pastor Cox or Pastor Velasquez would stand up or myself stand up behind the pulpit and preach uh, a sermon to you. I believe that what, wherever they went, God's word was on their tongue. Wherever they went, the gospel was on their lips. They were sharing the gospel, the good news, God's word, wherever they went. This wasn't the preachers. This was the people. The people carrying the good news with them. They, they went abroad, and everywhere they went, they took the word. Verse 5, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with the palsies, and that were lame, were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Now, I don't mean to belabor a point. But all the Christians in the church, except the church leaders, scattered due to the persecution. And everywhere they went, they preached the word. And when they preached the word, awesome things happened. Philip was one of those. Philip was one of those that was scattered. And he went to preach the word in Samaria. And when Philip got to Samaria, oh my goodness, what a ministry Philip had in Samaria. I mean, it's like one of these unbelievable ministries. Just can't even imagine the ministry. He was used by God greatly there. Demons were cast out. Paralytics and cripples were healed. Jesus Christ was preached and Samaria gladly received the word of God. Things were happening in Samaria. I mean, this, this is where it was at. This is the kind of ministry that every servant of God dreams about. This is what I call the big leagues of ministry when things like this happen. Doesn't get any better than this. I mean, Peter would wake up in the morning, he'd get dressed, and he'd walk out his door onto the streets, and instantly, it seemed, people were coming to faith in Christ. I mean, he, it's like he couldn't help it. It's almost like the lost were flies and he was covered with honey or something or whatever is attracted to honey. I don't know. I think flies are. I mean, every day it was the same thing over and over and over. He'd get up, get dressed, go outside, start talking, and people were getting saved. Demons were being cast out. Paralytics, those that were lame, were being healed. I mean to tell you what, Philip can die right now a happy man. I mean, I mean, that's just as good as it gets. But God 
had other plans. Drop on down, if you would, to verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is the desert. I mean to tell you, just when Philip's ministry was at its peak, when it couldn't get any better from a human standpoint, God tells him, I want you to leave Samaria. Oh, wow, okay. I want you to go to the desert. To the desert? Well, okay. Maybe there's a big caravan down there. No, I want you to go to the desert because there's one man there. One man, Lord. Look what's happening here in Samaria. I mean, we're having a revival here in Samaria. Things are happening. The Holy Spirit is working in people's lives and He's using me greatly. You want me to leave here and go talk to one man? The Lord said, yes. I want you to talk to one man. And so God sent Philip to the road that basically leads to the desert. No crowds there. One man. This man was a eunuch from Ethiopia. And Philip gave up all the good that was happening in Samaria, gave up what he would consider to be very good. Philip gave up all of that. I mean, uh, yes, Philip gave up all of that to talk to the eunuch from Ethiopia. He gave up what he considered to be very good for what, could, what God considered to be the best. Now I know if I was in Philip's place, I would be scratching my head and asking God a lot of questions. You know, God, th- this is what it's all about. Right here in Samaria, this is what it's about. You know, just in the length of time it takes me to get down to that desert road, there could be 500 people saved here in Samaria. But Philip was willing to give up what was good for what was best. In the book Radical Together, the author tells about the most unevangelized island on the face of the earth. No other place that is more unevangelized, he says, than this island. Millions of people live in its largest city. And outside the city, thousands and thousands more live out in the rural areas. Every morning you'd wake up and you could hear the muezzin, the the Islamic priest that gets on a microphone and he wails these prayers over an amplified speaker system. Mournful wail that they have. Throughout the city, people stopped wherever they were and they would go to their place of prayer. There are 45 million people on this island, most of whom are Muslim. And most of those have never heard the gospel. And they've never even met a true Christian on this island. But this largely unevangelized island also has millions of Christ followers on this island. 
45 million people on the island, most of whom are Muslim, but there are still millions of Christ followers. One tribe in particular um, is filled with believers. Years ago, uh, a Baptist missionary couple came to bring these people the gospel. And this tribe, who are cannibals, killed the missionaries. Years later, another missionary, some other missionaries, again brought the gospel. And this time, the tribe was, for the most part, converted to Jesus Christ. They began to teach them and to disciple them and see them growing in the faith. But over the years, as the faith was passed from one generation to the next, to the next, something happened. They began to focus inward instead of outward. They began to focus on themselves rather than on reaching others. They stopped sharing the gospel. And they kept the good news to themselves. And the author of this book said that as he visited and as he asked questions, he found out there was one problem that was keeping these Christians from reaching the Muslims on this island. And the problem was pork. Pork, like from a pig. Pork. The Muslims on the island don't eat pork. In fact, to them, pork is offensive. They don't even touch it. The Christians, on the other hand, love their pork. A pork, the very same pork that offends these Muslims. Now you would think that if they found out that this pork was keeping them from being able to reach these Muslims with the gospel of Christ, that they'd just simply give up their pork. Yet most of the Christians in this tribe were unwilling to give up their pork. One of the believers in the tribe told the author of this book, I would rather a Muslim die and go to hell than for me to have to stop eating pork on this island of 45 million people most of whom have never heard the gospel. I think sometimes the church in America can get like that. We get very comfortable inside our cocoon here. We, we, we cocoon inside the four walls. It's hard for us to get outside the four walls. We get so focused inwardly that we... Don't focus on the countless thousands that are dying all around us without Christ. We make issues other than reaching the lost issues. What if, what if these people on this island were willing to deny themselves? I mean... You know, they, they weren't even being asked to die for their faith. They were just being asked to give up pork. What if they were willing to deny themselves? What if they would take some risks? It's really not fair for me to point the finger. What if we 
were willing to deny ourselves? What if we were willing to take some risks? What if we were willing to become vulnerable to ridicule and to rejection? What if we were willing to make a necessary sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom? What might happen? What might the difference be? What if we were willing to make a major sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom? What would that look like? What would that look like? What it would look like for me is way different than what it would look like for you. The question is, what sacrifice are you willing to make for the sake of the kingdom? Are you willing to forsake all? Or are you holding some back? Let me just encourage you of something. Whatever you hold on to, hold on to it loosely. That way when God takes it from you, it won't hurt so much. And better yet, just give it to him. Just give it to him. It'll hurt way less. I want to close with a passage from the book of Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 28. It said, Then Peter began to say unto Jesus, Lo, we have left all. Lord, we've left everything and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. Jesus said, if you make that sacrifice for me, even if it's the ultimate sacrifice, that sacrifice will be rewarded. I will not forget that you made that sacrifice. Are we willing to do that?